The sharing of health records between doctors, hospitals, and other care providers has been fragmented for decades, but a new system of record exchanges looks to solve many of the issues to allow doctors to access a patient's complete health history. We'll discuss the issues around the new initiative next up on Today in Tech. Hi, everyone. I'm Keith Shaw. Welcome to Today in Tech. Joining me on today's show is Rob Mitchell. He's a freelance writer for Computer World and Val Potter, managing editor of features at Computer World. Welcome, Rob and Val. Thank you. And uh, you guys have a, a new story up on the site detailing a lot of the issues around health data record sharing. Um, so, Rob, can you talk briefly about sort of the history of electronic health record sharing in the U.S.? What was sort of the original goal for this? And, um, you know, give me a, like a, a quick brief uh, history lesson on this. Well, uh, my interest actually was peaked uh, more than 10 years ago, actually 15 years ago. I ended up in the hospital in Florida and... Uh, I um, was misdiagnosed and they didn't have any information. So they were scrambling to figure out, you know, did I have medication allergies? Uh, what was my background? Did I have any cardiac issues, which I did not? Mm -hmm. Because they didn't have that information, they put me through a whole battery of tests and had to ask a whole lot of questions. At that time, only 10% of hospitals had an electronic health record system. In this case, the hospital uh, not only didn't have one, but if you wanted to do a medical records request, you had to make a phone call to the records department and they had to fax paper to you. Right. And, and, and so that's so, where we were. Yeah. And so like what sort of pushed the initiative to sort of get these electronic records going? Was it was it the industry that did this or was it more of a government initiative? Well, it started out um, with uh, they, they needed standards for data exchange and they needed to get the hospitals on electronic health record systems. A lot of them didn't have them. So the government stepped forward with a program to provide incentives and to certify health record systems. They came up with uh, standards such as health level seven, which determine what should be in a health record and uh, how that information might be exchanged through different electronic sharing systems. And uh, that led eventually to the development of uh, vendor-based exchanges um, and also uh, regional exchanges and even some that focused on exchanging information, say, with the VA and other organizations out there. But it was all pieced together. Right. You know, there there right. was no one universal place where any provider could get all the information, all your core medical records. Uh, if they you know walked into an ER that was a thousand miles away from home. And so, so Val, where does the system stand today in terms of the effort in terms of getting hospitals, doctors, care providers, labs, all of those other groups to sort of to get onto some sort of, of sharing? Because it doesn't seem like it immediately happened. It felt like it's still fragmented and it's still a slow process. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, this, I mean, this actually started, you know, way back when HIPAA passed in 1996 was sort of the first baby steps towards it. And there's yeah. been a series of regulations from every single administration. I mean, that was Clinton administration, um, the, uh, the Bush administration, Obama administration, Trump administration, and they've all passed subsequent laws, uh, that have sort of inched it along, um, inched this whole process along of, of data sharing and getting, um, hospitals on board. And and we're a lot closer now than than we used to be. I think something like more than ninety percent of um, 
of uh, healthcare providers are on some sort of um, electronic medical records system, not necessarily one that talks to the others, <laughs> but right, right. at least at least we've gotten that far um, in terms of, of the actual exchange of information. Um, there are, um, you know, eventually sort of the partly through just sort of like industry uh, initiatives, partly nudged along by these government incentives and and, um, and penalties for not participating. Um, uh, more and more organizations started uh, sort of making these regional health information networks. And then they started being able to talk to each other to some extent, but there's, you know, there's just sort of this mishmash still of, of, of regional networks. We still do not have a national system of, of, of information sharing at this point. Right. And, and it feels it's closer. Like, yeah. It, it does feel like we are getting closer. And now it feels like that the, um, uh, the crux of the story that's now on computer world is this idea of the qualified health information system. Uh, wait, hold on. Qualified health information network system, um, which uh, the acronym is QHIN, Q-H-I-N. Um, is that sort of what we're seeing now is that, that once these networks go live, that the interoperability and the exchanges will start to happen a lot more than we've got? Rob? Yes, yeah, uh, that is part of a, uh, this is an alphabet soup of different initiatives and standards, <laughs> which created what was uh, a specification for developing an, uh, an open exchange standard and developing um, what ended up being uh, seven of these QHINs uh, that hospitals can join or any provider can, can access uh, in order to pull information about uh, different patients. So no matter where the patient is, you can get the records. But at this point, that's just limited to um, uh, initially when these roll out, which will be later this year and early next year, it'll be limited to just the clinical data that uh, these uh, folks need for treatment okay. and also patient access. But, uh, you know, it's not going to be a lot of the other types of data that you might want to include in there. And also it's hospitals, mainly in doctor's offices. If you look at pharmacies, walk-in clinics, home health care providers, or emergency response people that might need instant access to your records in an emergency, that hasn't been pulled together yet. Hopefully that's going to happen when the QHINs go online in early next year. Um, so medical data records, even if you get your core information, uh, it's still fragmented. Um, uh, I was told uh, by one pharmacy provider, for example, that uh, my records, if if I had, if my healthcare provider had an EPIC system, that's one of the biggest uh, healthcare electronic record system mm -hmm. in the United States, the vendor, um, then the data could be shared. But when I actually called my local pharmacy, they said, you have to ask us and we'll provide it to you, uh, to the provider by fax. So obviously uh, the message hasn't gotten out. Um, and then, you know, once the QHINs come in, they should be able to exchange this information. One question is, Will they, or will you always have to request that it be sent back? Right, right. What what kind of information is usually included in an electronic health record? It, um, I, obviously, I, you know, the last time I was at the doctor, they all I think they have an Epic system, and they, you know, a nurse comes in and types in my name and and, and logs in, and then they see everything that they see my health history. Um, but that's usually just kind of like local to that system right it you know they they're not connected to, they're they're not connected to my dentist for example so um those two like the doctor and the dentist aren't talking and i don't even know if they can or should 
Um, so, but then I, I noticed in your story that that not all all sorts of data is included in this record. Uh, Val, do you want to sort of go over what's what's included and what is not included in in these records? Yeah. So, I mean, it's um, it's basic basic information like family history, um, you know, status, immunizations, medications. Uh, your plan of care, things like that, procedures you've had done, um, all that kind of stuff. But there's a lot of, you know, really important information that's being left out. Uh, medical imaging is a huge hole there. Uh, and, and that's something actually I can I can attest to that personally. Um, I moved from uh, San Francisco across the country a couple of years ago. Right. And um, while I was able to pull, you know, when I moved to a new healthcare system, I was able to pull in all my um all my old records in again paper form. I believe they faxed it across the country. Wow. Um, <laughs> even though they're both on an epic system, they still somehow it all came over on paper. Uh, and so that left out. Um, I, I'd had CT scans that uh, that that I need to have access to, so right. that the current I, I I have a CT scan every year to compare with with prior information to make sure nothing has changed. And without that. Uh, without the old imaging, um, the the new radiologist has no way of knowing if it's changed right. uh, from from the previous years or not. And so, uh, nobody explained to me that I need to request those images and have them sent to me on or directly to the provider on a CD or a DVD, um, which is crazy. <laughs> I mean, what, what's the internet for? <laughs> yeah. Is, is it because these, these scans are, are so high in, you know, in terms of the file size and it's, it's just unreasonable for images like that to be sort of transferred electronically, or is it just that people don't, or there, there's not a matching format for any of this stuff. Have you been able to figure that uh, out? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure the answer to that. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, the format, the formatting is there. I think it's just the cost and the amount of uh, storage uh, that's needed. Um, one person told me that they could do it, but there just hasn't been a lot of interest at this point uh, among the uh, various parties involved to start that process. That's interesting because you think it would with, with imaging. Yeah, with imaging, you th you would think that that that's a very important sort of aspect to have. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's a. I think there's just some uh, hurdles in terms of the size of the files and how they want to do that. Okay, and so with, with these um, with these exchanges now coming online, or, or you know, because again you mentioned that it's it's going to probably happen with you know in this year. How is that going to work in terms of will will doctors be able to? There was a part of the story. Hold on, I'm going to reset. The, there was a part of the story that said uh, that a lot of these doctor offices and, and places like that are accessing inf uh, information through a point-to-point -point connection rather than sort of directly through the exchange. Can you explain sort of, is that sort of an old method versus a new method, Rob? Yeah, I mean, it used to be uh, that you would have to, you, you might be able to transmit records directly between providers, although um, usually they went with a fax route. Um, but I think what you're talking about is and when you talk about payers, like claims data, okay. should be in there with your records and it's not. And for that, the resolution of claims information, that's all point to point. So every insurer to every hospital. Um, and so it's completely separated at this point. Okay. So it's not just between doctors. It's more about um, the payers and things like Medicaid and, and, and some of these other government organizations that you're seeing this. 
Right. And yeah. there's other problems, too. I mean, uh, right now, uh, and, it, you know, it, this is uh, evidenced by the fact that things get printed out like documents. Well, they're stored in document format. Uh, so if a, if a provider wants to go into the document uh, and, say, search through fielded data elements for certain, you know, certain data about you, and a search or filter or sort for it, they can't do that. They have to page through what's there, which they find frustrating. And there's also uh, a suspicion among some of the providers that the data is not complete. So not only when they use the exchanges, do they ask for the information there, they then ask for the paper copy again by fax. Right, right. And this, this, is something, this is something you bring up in the article, too. You talk about the last mile problem, right? It is that when you get down to the level of a, of a nurse or a clinician or a doctor sort of accessing the record, that they still end up resorting to just writing stuff down on paper or, or getting the facts. And, and, and an interesting part of the article, too, was I think you noted that not a lot of doctors might even realize that they have the ability to access the records. Did you find that amazing, Val, when, when you were reading that? Well, I did and I didn't. Um, uh, I think one issue that's contributing to that factor is that uh, many hospitals are woefully understaffed, yeah. um, particularly since COVID. And so when you are just running as fast as you can to just see all the patients that need to be seen and take care of them, um, I mean, that you know, medical medical people are trained in medicine. They're not trained in computers right. and, and data systems and whatever. And so, you know, it's you just do what you've been doing as quickly as you can. And there isn't time to learn something new, even though in the long run, that could actually save them time. If, if these workflows were automated, if they didn't have to, if their administrative staff didn't have to spend time faxing and copying and all that sort of stuff. Um, and, and if the information were in, in a more accessible format, uh, data wise, they could simply do a quick search and pull up the information they needed instead of looking through these, you know, paper documents. Um, it really would be so much more efficient for everybody. But um, getting to that point, it takes a lot of time and effort uh, to get there. And so, um, you know, it, it's a time saver in the long run, but in the short term, it's 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 just too big of a hurdle for for these. Um, right. So so at uh, these at these organizations, who who's responsible for sort of getting these doctors and, and nurses to sort of learn how to do that? Or is it even there? I mean, is it, is it a matter of training? Is it a matter of just sort of awareness and, and sort of hoping or, or, or do we go down the path of automation at some point? Well, in one hospital I spoke with, it's the CIO who's been trying to communicate that, that back down because these are information systems yeah. after all. And um, they're instrumental in hooking up the pipes into these new uh, exchanges uh, or QHINs that are coming online. Mm -hmm. But there are exchanges today and right now, one hospital was telling me that uh, many of their departments are using the electronic uh, exchanges, but at least one wasn't. It only had a 20% uh, compliance rate. And some of the areas where we just talked about, don't trust the data. It's not from our hospital. Cultural barriers, uh, that's not the way we do things. Entrenched workflows, um, you know, where this is the way the records department has always done things. We're just gonna fax this out. So, uh, and then finally, there is education um, in some areas, particularly in a really busy area, like say a um, understaffed emergency room, people may not even be up to speed or be fully aware of what they can get access to and how. So that's one of the big things that they're working on as we get to the rollout of these QINs 
in Q4 of this year and into next uh, next year. Well, what's interesting from the emergency room side of things, and I think you mentioned also EMS in, in some of your uh, discussions about who can access or who who should access some of this information. It's a lot of that seems to now be sort of on the, the iPhone or people that wear watches that have all of that data on them. Now it's, it's almost like the consumer has sort of taken on the role of being able to provide that information probably even much more quicker than, um, than a, than a healthcare provider trying to access something on, 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 you know, on a computer. Um, do you see sort of that trend continuing? I mean, remember everybody, remember the life alert bracelets that everybody used to have, or at least all the old people would have, yeah. like, is that, is that sort of, is that trend now happening, but with like phones and watches and things like that? Well, sure. You have, um, e-health, uh, systems that uh, you have, you know, Apple has one, uh, I think Google, Amazon, all these companies are getting into that. And then there are smaller players. Uh, one of the catches, of course, is that the HIPAA protections uh, for your privacy don't apply once you pull the information out of a healthcare provider's hands, so to speak. So if you allow the downloading of that data into that record, uh, maybe there's some FTC rules that would apply, but the HIPAA privacy protections, you've given them up when the information goes out. And oh, that's in fact, interesting. Yeah. When you do, you actually get a warning message from my provider. And uh, the information is also not as easy to get out. It's all like the uh, um, these kind of legacy EHR systems are um, based on older technologies like SOAP and XML. So um, you know, <laughs> they're not really mobile optimized, but you can pull the data out. And you can, uh, one of the advantages is if you own the data, if it becomes, instead of provider centric, it's patient centric, then you can start pulling in the data from all these other sources as well. Everything from the data from your Apple Watch to your pharmacy. Like for example, right now coming out of the COVID-19 epidemic or pandemic, um, I realized that I had vaccinations at two different pharmacies, uh, actually three pharmacies, and I had been to two different um, outpatient uh, walk-in clinics. Right. None of that information is in my uh, centralized health record where my provider is. And it's unbelievable how complicated it is to try to integrate those. But we've all got those cards. <laughs> <We've all> got- <laughs> Like, come on, like that's that's the one thing that was interesting, too, is that I think all of my data for the vaccinations are on that one card there. I don't even think that they're in the health system, because um, I think the last time I went to the doctor, the, she asked me, she's like, so are you vaccinated? I'm like, well, you should know this. Like, and they're like, no, we don't know that. Like, it's all on that one card. Oh, boy. Anyway, um, Val, you mentioned HIPAA earlier and, and, and Rob, you just mentioned HIPAA. Do you think that HIPAA has been sort of helpful in this case or a hindrance in terms of getting these? Because it feels like at first it was a hindrance, but now, you you know, as each administration has sort of updated it, they are trying to push this this initiative forward. What's your opinion on HIPAA, uh, Val? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it it, it sort of sounds... Um, it's, it's an interesting law because it's it's there for you know the protection of personal information but at the same time it does allow um providers certain data sharing rights it's just that it, it very it lays out what type of data what type of providers you can share it with who you can't share that data with uh without the patient's permission and all that sort of stuff so it seems in a way like it it was locking down data and in, indeed it was locking down that data in some aspects but it 
at the same time, it was it was explicitly giving permission to to share the data between providers that needed to know that data, and and therefore you know it really was useful. And you know again, those laws were um, there was something I what they call it the information blocking rule uh, went into effect like 2022 or something like that, and not that long ago, um, the sort of bills on HIPAA where HIPAA sort of said, uh, you know, the, these providers have permission to share, but uh, this actually said they are required to when it's necessary for the care of the patient. So um, that really, you know, built on HIPAA to, to uh, prevent providers from keeping information to themselves when it really needed to be shared. Yeah, Robert, right. and, uh, yeah, your thoughts. Sorry. They had an incentive to do that because um, if you're a vendor, you you want to keep your competitive advantage. So if you don't have to share data or you say, oh, you can share with these other hospitals in your area, as long as you're all on, say, an Epic system or one provided by Cerner or one of the many other providers out there, um, it, it was seen as a, you know, as a um, opening up was seen as a way to kind of give people opportunities to maybe leave those platforms or not have them in every the same in every place right right and it does seem like that the issue of a lot of these these a lot of this data is in document form rather than sort of data fields means that it might take a long time before you get into a system where you can then start searching and applying other sort of data analytics to any of this stuff right yeah i mean that's going to be uh well after the these uh uh uh, after the QNs come online, yeah. then there is a standard, there's a specification, an API uh, for doing that, but it requires the vendors to make some changes to their systems, and that's probably going to take a few years. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we, we've pointed out a lot of sort of the, the issues and the concerns and some of the, po- the, the, the problems with the whole idea of electronic health record sharing. But do you feel, I mean, it does feel like that we are, we are moving forward. So are you still, are you positive about a lot of these, these initiatives that have been happening lately? Rob, are you, are you still an optimist on this or are you, the more you dig, I, the more pessimistic you get? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised. I mean, my poor experience in 2008, I checked in five years later. It didn't seem like a lot had changed, uh, but here we are in, uh, 2023 and going into 2024, it looks like we're finally really going to make some big changes here in terms of, you know, for me, wherever I am within the U.S., people that need my information will be able to get it in life and death situations. Okay. And Val, you know, are you are you still optimistic or has, has this experience sort of frustrated you as a as a patient or as a as a as a consumer? Oh uh, well, yeah. I certainly am. I'm frustrated as a as a patient, but um, it, with the way things are now. But um, I am actually really helpful about hopeful about these QHINs, um, the network of networks, uh, to share this information. Um, I mean, and you know. Well, this is all the whole problem here is that we do not have a national healthcare system. It's all this incredibly fragmented yeah. uh, system of of payers and providers and and whatnot. So the fact that we've come this far, you know, I was looking back at some some of the articles that Rob wrote in two thousand eight about this, um, and you know, back then it was like the. Um, uh, the same hospital, inpatient and outpatient, might actually have a different. Mm. Uh, 
identification number for the same patient. Like really basic stuff like that. Like even knowing who's being in, in uh, you know, input and output of a hospital was not coordinated. So, uh, I mean, we really have come a long way since then. So I'm, I'm quite hopeful. Okay. What- yes. I mean, back, back in those days, uh, I took my father in for a procedure and we went into the uh, clinic and then walked down the hallway to the hospital wing and they said, what are your prescriptions? And we had just been to the doctor <laughs> and updated, reviewed them. We had to do it again. And they said, well, we, we didn't get it from them because our fax machine is broken. Oh, boy. <laughs> I, I feel like... <laughs> I, Should I walk down there and get them for you? <laughs> I feel like fax machines might be the only place where the health, you know, like health health organizations might be the only place where fax machines still exist. Um, that, that's amazing. All, all, all the stories about paper and fax that are still going around. Um, is the is this issue uh, better or worse when you go international? Like you know, Val, you brought up national healthcare systems. You know, so then I think of places like England and, and Canada uh, that do have these systems. Are 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 they better off or are they sort of lagging behind when you talk international stuff? Rob, do you want to try to jump on? Oh, it? <laughs> sorry, I thought you were talking to Val. Well, either um, of you is fine. On, it depends on the country. I mean, in a country like Israel. Um, it's, you know, they have a universal identifier. Um, uh, and, you know, different, um, believe it or not, different areas of EU countries have different systems, but they're not as fragmented as the United States by any stretch. The bigger question is what happens when you leave the U.S. and go to one of these countries? Um, you're not, you know, these these exchanges are not designed to do international exchange of, of patient data at this time. I think at that point, then we go to like carrier pigeon or, or some other sort of like... <laughs> antiquated uh, delivery system or you go back with your phone you have a downloaded uh, uh, a medical record and gee it's on my phone but uh, guess what it's not protected by hipaa anymore because it's in one of these external exchanges Ooh, okay or you try to remote in or there's one organization called smart health it um, uh, that's working um, with other groups to try to develop a um, uh, qr code that you once scanned would give a foreign, a doctor in a foreign country access to some critical data. It might actually be stored locally on some device that you have, or it might take them into uh, some other record system that hasn't been worked out. Right. That's probably. And, and we've, we've been talking a lot about sort of the, this is a lot of geeky it related stuff like connectivity and connections and interoperability. Uh, When I think about this though, does the average consumer does, should, should they be interested in this? Should they be concerned about it? You know, or is this just sort of like a, a behind the scenes sort of, uh, you know, kind of issue for them? Like, you know, uh, I always use the, the term of would my grandmother be interested in this? But now I'm, I'm old enough where that's not an issue anymore. <laughs> like, so, you know, should the average patient be concerned about whether or not their health record can be shared or not? Val, you want to jump in on that one? Yeah, uh, well, you know, it, it's not a concern until it's a concern, really, you know, yeah. like, if you'd asked me that when I was 25 and completely healthy, I would have said, what's the big deal? But, um, you know, uh, as a 50 something uh, year old now, it, it, it becomes a lot more relevant. And, um, you know, it really, the benefits to the patients are obvious. Um, just you, you can just such better continuity of care and, you um, 
it almost leads to the next step of um, which is a whole other topic we probably don't want to get into. But, um, you know, once more of this data is accessible and, and can be parsed um, so as separate discrete chunks, then when AI gets involved in healthcare, um, artificial intelligence, it'll start to be able to see patterns and pull out things that a clinician might have missed. And especially when it has access to a whole a patient's whole entire um, health record, uh, it might be able to put together two different things that uh, seemingly unrelated, but that, oh, these two things are actually symptoms of such and such disease that a clinician might miss. Right. So you might be able to get to better diagnosis or, or maybe even faster diagnosis of a lot of this stuff rob and, right. and, and again you've you've experienced this personally in terms of this issue uh you know if you can take yourself away from that for a second do you think the average patient uh should be concerned about this or at least pay attention to it oh yeah i i think so particularly for older people you know it's very confusing trying to navigate the healthcare system and if you like if i was in my 80s and um, I had had vaccinations at three different pharmacies. I had been to two walk-in clinics and I have my primary care doctor in the hospital and none of that is necessarily connected. So yeah. they're like, well, when did you, did you get a vaccine? And this is happening to me. Um, this should all be happening in the background. You should tell them, this is my primary care physician. It should automatically go. In some cases it does, in some cases it doesn't until unless you explicitly say so. But, you know, it's going to avoid confusion for your grandmother and for, you know, her loved ones if all the information is in one place so that when she goes in or she's having some sort of urgent care issue, everybody knows exactly what's going on in yeah. terms of her health. Do you think we're going to get to that point at some point? It sure looks like it. Uh, in fact, one of the... Um, one of the QHINs uh, operates an exchange now that's kind of focused on the smaller players in the market, but also some of these other areas such as home health care, emergency services. So I'm hoping that as those all get integrated in, um, we'll actually see this kind of automate mm -hmm. as opposed to, oh, you have to tell me if you want it to go into your health record. Right, right. And, and then in terms of, of moving forward, do you think it's more important to get some of these organizations that aren't connected yet, you know, to get them connected in? Or is it more important to sort of expand the types of data that can go into these uh, records and exchanges? Or if you had to choose between the two, uh, I mean, obviously you'd hope for, for both, but if you had to choose, what do you think was more important? Well, I, I would say what's most important is what um, the the, the QHINs are trying to do is get as many hospitals connected as possible, uh, which might may take, they're telling me, as long as 2025. Mm -hmm. They've got to get that last 30% because you're talking about people's health and, you know, and, you know, possibly life and death situations. So that's got to be number one. Then if you want to get in, get the claims data in there, or if you want to be able to use the data for public health and health initiatives such as tracking a pandemic and being able to figure out what's going on or based on syndromes being able to alert people they may have been exposed to something or whatever the other purposes of use are those can come after that um you know things like prescription drugs well you know there's a list of prescription drugs but guess what nobody knows if you ever picked them up right so interesting okay he's got a prescription if he never took it and he's in the er is that the problem? Yeah. You know, yeah. That, inf that type of information was added. But again, that goes back to expanding, um, you know, who is sharing data in those systems and, you know, 
you know, different purposes of use. Yeah. And, as they and Val, Val, what do you think should be sort of the next steps? Do you agree with, with Rob in terms of getting everybody connected or, or expanding oh, yeah. the data? Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, expanding the data is important and great, but, um, you know, especially the organizations that aren't connected are going to be more likely to be, you know, smaller cash-strapped hospitals serving poor populations. I mean, I just think that the, for the greater good, getting, getting more, um, getting the whole, the whole of the healthcare system to be part of the yeah. network has got to be priority number one. And it does feel like right. we should we should try to get these doctors off of the paper and the fax machine approach, and especially if they already if they're already connected. Like, let's get them on the system, right? Right, and of course, they the smaller players are the ones that aren't using the biggest electronic health record systems because they're expensive. So they may be on smaller players that aren't connected or haven't been in the past. So getting them plugged in is going to be critical. Uh, to closing this gap. Well, yeah, this is uh, fascinating stuff, and it's a great article, uh, Rob. I, I look forward to to to, you know, to read more of it. And if um, uh, if you haven't, if you're just watching this video on YouTube, go to Computer World and and watch and read the article. It's 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 great stuff, Rob. Thanks. Thank you. All right. Thanks also, Valts, for uh, for joining us on the show as well. Thank you. All right. That's all the time we have for today's episodes. Don't forget to like the video, subscribe to the channel, add any comments that you have below. Join us every week for new episodes of Today in Tech. I'm Keith Shaw. Thanks for watching.